0: This is Right From The Deep. I'm Karen Ball. And I'm Erin Taylor-Young. And this is the podcast from writers for writers answering the question,
1: Why am I doing this? As writers, editors, and a literary agent, we're in the deep with you. We want you not just to survive here, but to thrive, to embrace the deep and find your truest story, your truest message. And we're going to do that by bringing you interviews, inspiration, and information specifically geared to encourage, refresh, and equip you in the deep. You can get
0: the episode show notes, lots more information and encouragement, and your free audio download. Yay! Five Crucial Ways to Safeguard Your Writer's Heart at WriteFromTheDeep.com. And here's the show. It's time for Fun Stuff! Fun Stuff! Hooray for Fun Stuff! Okay, well, yay today for Stephen Schwambach. He is the winner of the copy of James L. Rubart's newest novel, The Long Journey to Jake Palmer. So congratulations, Stephen. And we love to hear from our winners about what God has been teaching them in the deep. And Stephen has this to say. One of my all-time favorite Bible verses is... Who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. From Jeremiah 30, 21. I love that. And Stephen goes on to say, when I read or quote that verse, I want to shout from the depths of my being. I will. I've learned in the deep that some of my greatest setbacks were, in fact, God's recalibration of my life for future greater impact. If I will only trust him through it, he loves me too much to allow me to suffer for no good reason. Oh, great thoughts, Stephen. Thanks for sharing those. Yes, indeed. Okay, fun stuff. Number two, conferences. Number two. Okay.
1: Yay, conferences. You can come and meet me February 17th through the 18th in Pleasanton, California, located in the San Francisco East Bay, where I'll be attending the West Coast Christian Writers Conference. You can find out more information at www.westcoastchristianwriters.com.
0: Oh, and for the next conference, we are going to traverse to the other side of the All United States. All the way across States. the country. <laughs> and both of us will be at the Florida Christian Writers Conference in Leesburg, Florida. Um, that mm-hmm. is www.floridacwc.net. And that is also in February the 22nd through the 26th.
1: Right. And then in June, the twenty-second through the twenty-fourth, you will find us at the SoCal, as in Southern California, SoCal Christian Writers Conference in La Mirada, California. And information on that is at socalcwc dot com. Again, that's socalcwc dot So hey, come on out and play! So fun stuff number three, don't forget about our contest
0: to win a copy of Alan Arnold's book, The Story of With. That is a wonderful book, part allegory, part instruction, and we talked about that in our interview with Alan earlier in January. If you missed that, go go and check it out. Do yourself a favor. He had some wonderful things to say, and you can find that at our website, rightfromthedeep.com, or you can go to Stitcher or iTunes to catch up on those back episodes Right. So, how do you win? Tell us, Erin. How do we win? Actually, we've been talking about this in our newsletter, but we're going to reveal the <laughs> secret just for fun. Right <laughs> here just for you. you. <laughs> so, anybody who has ever left a comment at our website on the podcast post is eligible. Yay! So (laughs) yay! Go enter a comment. Yes, because we we love to hear from you guys, and we love to hear um, your reactions to these podcasts. So anybody who has ever, in the course of time, given us a comment, um, you're entered automatically. Hooray for you. And if you want to enter, hurry now and go ahead and um, give us a con. Uh, comment on something and uh, the contest ends on January 27th. So don't wait. Okay. And now here's the show. Welcome everybody again for our very new year here. I guess this is our second episode of the new year and we have another guest so I'm super excited about that. I always am. It's Trisha Goyer. She is a writer and mom in the trenches and of course you all know that Karen knows everybody so
1: we're (laughs) gonna let Karen do our intro. Well Trisha Goyer. If you have ever met or or heard of Trisha Goyer, you know that she is famous for managing about five million balls all in the air at the same time. <laughs> She's a busy mom of 10 children. Count them. 10 she started <laughs> nice. becoming a mother when she was four she has eight <laughs> of those kids living at home right now and she's a grandmother of three and she and her husband john are just amazing amazing people amazing parents somewhere around the hustle and bustle of this incredible family life she manages to find time to write that just blows my mind the most amazing novels that delight and entertain readers and nonfiction title i you know the question we keep asking ourselves about, Tricia, is how does she do it all? <laughs> and so that's a part of what we're going to talk about. She is a best selling author. She's published more than 50 books. And if you look at this girl, guys, she looks like she's about 14. <laughs> so it's just, it's amazing to me. She's a two time Carol Award winner, as well as a Christie and the CPA Award nominee. And in 2010, she was selected as one of the top 20 moms to follow on Twitter by the sheknows.com. Mm-hmm. Tricia, is also on the blogging team at thebettermom.com and other homeschooling and Christian sites. And in addition to her roles as a mom, yes, In addition to her roles as a mom and grandmother, (laughs) wife and author, Trisha volunteers around her community and mentors teen moms. She's the founder of Hope Pregnancy Ministries in Northwest Montana, and she currently leads a teen mops group in Little Rock, Arkansas. You can learn even more about her at her website, www.trishagoyer.com. So, Trisha, you and I met, we were just talking about it before we started the podcast, I think it was the early 90s at Mount Hermon, you said that you and i first met
2: matt herman i remember going i was 22 years old oh. i had was, was pregnant with my third my very first conference and going and wanting to be a christian writer and i was very concerned because what if more than one editor wanted my novel that was <laughs> my big <biggest. laughs> so and i actually- think.
1: That was actually prescience because that happens now.
2: (laughs) But I think I had three chapters written and they were Um. not good at all.
1: Well, we're just really grateful that you stuck with it and that you've provided the amazing books that you have to the readership. So you know that this podcast is about writing from the deep places. And, and for us, that that has a couple of different meanings, either going deeper with God or being in deep places of struggle. And I know a lot about your life story because I've known you for so long, but some of our listeners may not be aware of it. So why don't you start out by
2: telling telling us what you think of when you hear the term the deep? You know, I just love that. And I love how you brought God's word into it. And I think in my story, it has been getting to know God's word, really spending time with him, but then actually doing what it says. So yeah. when God says, care for the widows, care for the orphans, um, tell the gospel to those in need, um, it's actually doing what, what he says. And mm. then when I do that, that's where the deep trouble comes. <laughs> so <many Yeah>. times, <laughs> it's like, God, really, did you call me to this? but then having him show up again and again and again. So I think the first deep place that he took me was, um, I was a young mom, I wanted to be a writer and it was into my own heart, all the issues and the baggage. I became sexually active at a young age. I had an abortion when I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. I got pregnant again and had my son when I was 17 and then met this wonderful Christian guy that was a gift to me from God. Um, and then I thought, I could just go on with my happy little life and not think about those years again, and God's going to do all these wonderful things. And I realized that He, first of all, needed to heal me, mm. he had a lot of healing in that broken, bruised, torn heart. Um, and so His Word really ministered to me. Other women praying over me really ministered to me and just letting Him heal those places. But then once I found the healing going out and being a minister of healing to other people. So I helped start Hope Pregnancy Center and um, encouraged young women not to have abortions. I led post-abortion Bible studies. So the deep for me was all those places that I tried to hide, Mm -hmm. all the pain that had been there. Um, God not only wanted to heal those places, but he wanted to use me to reach other people. And somehow all those pains that I went, they even come out in my writing. Um, A lot of my characters, the issues that my characters have. So not only face-to-face, but even in my writing, God has wanted to use those things that I wanted to hide to help uh, other people.
0: Trisha, what I love about what you're saying is the bravery there, the bravery. So often we want to hide those places and we want to hide those scars. And we talk about how important it is to step out and and to not hide those, because those are the very places where your most powerful message is. And it sounds like that's exactly what's happening in your writing.
1: It's interesting to me that in the church, we're so concerned about wearing masks and keeping things hidden. And and when we first become believers like you, we think, oh, I get to leave behind all the garbage and I don't have <laughs> to deal with it. But God is about restoring. God is about rebirth. God is about taking those broken things and turning them into something beautiful for him. And for us because of how he then welcomes us into ministry. And I think that's the thing I've been so impressed about with you, Tricia, both with the, the adopting the children and working with the kids and working with the teen moms. And like you said in your own writing, that all of that, in a way, has become part and parcel of the message that God has given you to speak to a really broken and hurting world. And nobody can ever look at you and say, well, she just doesn't understand. She's never been where I've been. Because you have, and it's not like you signed up at the beginning and said, okay, checkbox, I want to do this, and I want to do this no. terrible thing, and I want to suffer this terrible thing. But but in the course of the choices that we make, we all face those difficulties, and it's not until you open them up to God and let him restore them that the real power can come through us. Absolutely.
0: The other thing that I like what you said there was that you obey what you think God is telling you to do. And then that's when the struggles come. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so often we think that if I obey, that means it's all going to be smooth sailing because God called me into this and he's telling me to do these things. Well, no, that's actually when it gets hard. It, it gets struggles. And, and we'd love for you to tell some of your stories about some of those difficulties and some of those struggles that have happened that have made you go, am
2: I really doing the right thing? Did I hear right? Absolutely. Well, the most recent one is just adopting our kids. So John and I have um, three biological kids, and then we've adopted um, seven kids in the last five years. Wow. Um, so I'll, I'll give you my all the kids' ages, so... Um, <laughs> They are 27, 24, 22 are our biological. And then our adopted kids are 16, 13, 13, 12, 9, 6, and 6. She's doing so this the... from memory, guys.
1: I'm watching her do this from memory. <laughs> I'm thinking through. Can you remember how old your two kids are? And she can remember 10.
2: <laughs> yeah. So uh, but we started with one. And we felt, you know, God, I mean, God in God's word, it says care for the orphans and widows. And my 87 year old grandma also lives with us. So add that to the mix, which is, uh, you know, caregiving is not an easy thing either. But we started with adopting one um, and we felt, you know, we got to care for these orphans. And God connected us with a birth mom and we got a newborn baby girl from the hospital. And thought, okay, we've done my God's word <laughs> <laughs> And then um, at our church, uh, a wonderful lady in town has a program called Project Zero. And they take kids from foster care that their parents' rights have been terminated. And so these kids mm. are open for adoption. And she gets photos of the kids and takes them these huge panels and puts them in churches for people to see. And walking uh-huh. in a church and seeing those children um from the from toddlers all the way to 17 years old seeing those faces john and i were both confronted with there is a lot more kids that need homes that mm-hmm. are in foster care that are aging out of foster care you know um, most teenagers end up aging out of foster care and then they're pregnant within the girls are pregnant within six months the statistics are 90 percent of the boys are incarcerated um oh, you know after they age out of foster care because they have no family They have nowhere to turn. They end up going to the streets, girls turn to guys. And we were just confronted with, there's kids out there that still need homes. And so um, we went through the training with DHS. And honestly, when I walked into the training, I'm like, okay, yeah, I've been a mom for 23 years. (laughs) I really don't need this training, but okay, I'll just do what they say. And even before we got the kids, I'm like, all right, this will, I know how to be a mom. We got these kids that were so broken they had emotional issues they'd been abused they had um, been sexually assaulted i mean all these things and then we're trying to fit them into our lives and i remember that first week i'm like god what is going on <laughs> this is so hard um we we ended up finding wonderful trauma therapy that has really helped wow. and so casey was two and a half at the time and bella was five at the time and it was a struggle the first year was just so hard And then we finally found a lot of healing and got to a place where like, okay, well, we're settled now, we're comfortable. And my husband approached me one day and he says, you know what, I don't think we're supposed to live life being comfortable. And he says, I don't want to get to heaven and saying, you know, I gave it my all for the first, you know, 40 years and then coasted the rest of my life in my comfort zone. Wow! And I'm like, what are you saying? (laughs) What are you (laughs) saying,
1: John? Okay, all uh, of the listeners now, when you hear this, all together now, all we women who are listening to this man of God speaking truth, and we all go, "Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> We do, but we're like, aww for her because, yeah. you know, well, I don't know if I want my husband to tell me that. <laughs> yeah. <But> I
2: <laughs> and I remember one church service where I was just worshiping him, and just was so clear that we were supposed to adopt more from foster care, wow. and specifically older girls Um, because I worked with the teen moms and so many of the teen moms that I mentored had come from foster care and were pregnant within, like I said, six months and just bawling my eyes out because I knew this is not going to be an easy thing. And it, we uh, brought the girls home a year and a half ago. The adoption was finalized almost a year ago. Exactly. And it was the first year was so hard. It was so challenging. Um, just dealing with all the pain and all the issues Um, From what they faced in their past and trying to uh, take these broken, broken girls and who are afraid to trust people are afraid to be loved have they had a failed adoption before so they had another family that said we're going to adopt you and you're going to be ours forever and then uh, after three months turn them back over to DHS so rejection care. And so, on
1: top of rejection on top of rejection. Yes.
2: And then we're like, oh. we love you. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to give you a forever home. And it was, it was so hard. And honestly, that was probably the hardest season of my life. Just dealing with all the kids. Because Not only you have seven kids now, you have seven kids from broken places and just crying and just saying, God, I just need you. And that really is the deep place where You know God's word. I mean, I was Bible study girl. I'd spend an hour every day in my Bible and write scripture and really got it deep in my heart. And then I started doing what it says and then getting the moment where I've done what it says. I'm hurting. I am broken. And God still meets me there and says, I love you. I will give you the peace. I'll give you the patience. Um, and, And just feeling him work through me in places where I could not do it in my own strength.
1: Oh my God! One of the devotionals, well, in fact, the devotional that I actually read year after year because it speaks to me in different ways every year. Streams in the desert, and the thing that I like so much about it is that it addresses these things. It addresses the fact that becoming a believer doesn't mean that life gets nice and smooth. Mm. It's yeah. we are following a, a broken Lord. We are following a man of suffering who has known the darkest places and he's there with us and God is there with us to supply. But yeah, we get in very deep places where we start to doubt that call. We start to doubt that we're doing what we're supposed to be doing or that we're able And the beauty is that we're not able. Aaron and I were just reading um, out of streams in the desert today and they were talking about Asa and how he was fighting for the nation of Israel. But there's no way that they could win that battle. And so God sent his army to Mm. defeat those coming against Israel they didn't have to rely on their own strength they had god's army to fight for them and god will do that for us absolutely
0: so trisha given your record of you know amazing books what i'm wondering you know how how is the process of writing happening with with seven broken people well <laughs> plus everybody else in your house how is the process of writing what's happening how are you getting it done
2: how are you how you know, now I mean before I have always loved writing and I've always um I've always written when with children at home. So my first writer's conference, I was pregnant with my third. So I've always had kids at home and I've always learned how to carve out time, usually in the afternoons. Um they just have to entertain themselves. Mm-hmm. So I homeschool too. So I the am <laughs> the morning, the morning, <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> So in the morning, I'm homeschooling, afternoon, it's like, okay, do your chores. You can entertain yourself for two hours while I write. I mean, I did that for years and years. But really, I mean, we have therapy appointments now. We have all these things. And I tell people writing is the easiest thing I do now because it's me. (laughs) It's my computer. It's my (laughs) own thoughts. It's quiet. And uh, I mean, it's still a challenge. I'm in the middle of editing a book, and it's not easy at all. but. Writing sitting down with my computer is not folding 10 loads of laundry. It's <laughs> yeah. a whole different thing. And I've discovered that um, I could meet God there. I have quiet. I could quiet myself before him. And I could push out all those other things, all the kids and the laundry and everything and really connect with him during those times. But right now, the last book I wrote, I wrote between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. I would mm-hmm. you know, get the kids to bed 10.30 um, head to bed, get up early. And a lot of it, I wasn't even setting my alarm. God would wake me up. I'm like, okay, I'll get up. I mean, because that was the time slot that I had. So it was getting up and spending some time in Bible reading and prayer and then writing before the rest of the kids got up. Um, so it's not easy. and But I can see a difference, too, uh, even in the books that I'm writing because I'm so dependent on God. It's I can't just, like, throw fluff out there. <laughs> it's yeah. like, God, I need you every minute um during this time and then karen i love what you said just about connecting with jesus who is the suffering servant um and i'm finding that is coming out more in my writing and you know with with these special teen girls that we adopted um you know i mean they know how to lash out with words they've had lots of people lashing out with them girls are really good at that they're good at that they're good at um ignoring me they're good at i mean there'd be times they wouldn't talk to someone girl wouldn't talk to me for a week and I mean, talk about pain. It didn't matter yeah. that I was Trisha Goyer, bestselling author. It didn't <laughs> matter that I'm a parenting speaker. It didn't matter all these things. Yeah. I was mom, who yeah. they were more, not even mom yet, but who someone that they weren't going to trust and they were going to lash out at. And it didn't matter. Like my credentials did not matter in that moment. And I think I connected so much more with the suffering that Christ felt um, and the pain of rejection, the pain of people that you're just pouring love into, all of a sudden, you know, them, I mean, Martha coming up saying, Christ, you know, Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. I mean, yeah. just reading those words again, the pain of rejection just hit me so much more now. And so I think that all of it, anything that we face in life comes out in our writing. And I think my books, even in the upcoming years are gonna be different because of what I'm dealing with, with these kids.
1: Well, I I think that that's where we look at it. And I remember somebody asking me once, you know, how do you keep finding things to write about And you know, life, life Mm -hmm. happens and the journeys that life takes us on if, if, if you're present and if you pay attention. And if, like you said, you're plugged in to the suffering service of Jesus, those things clarify and they crystallize who Jesus really is and who we're supposed to be through him.
0: So Tricia, what do you think um, breaks through for them? You know, you're pouring into them and you're pouring into them and you're pouring into them and they're, and they're rejecting you. What do you think it is that finally breaks through? And what do you do to keep your hope up? Yes. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, the thing that finally broke through to them was when we went to the courthouse and the judge took his little anvil thing and hit the the his little whatever court whatever <laughs> desk I guess and said you are now Goyers and they oh, broke into wow. the sobs the four girls just started bawling because they hadn't they'd been in the foster care system for six years before that they had horrible abuse and rejection. And even up until the weekend before, one of the girls was like, it's not going to happen, something's going to happen. And that moment when they knew they were adopted, they knew that it was finalized. They knew that they were just as much ours as our biological kids or the kids that we would had for five years prior that we adopted. That moment really broke it for them. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of our Christian walk. When we believe who we are, we are God's child. He loves us. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. It's done. When we can truly walk in that, it changes everything. And so we, we really saw attitudes changing. We saw heart softening. It's like they were willing to open up and start opening up their hearts. And they would tell us, like, in their minds, they were doing everything to get us to send them back quickly mm-hmm. because they didn't want to yeah. risk rejection. And so they would just say stuff and do stuff that like, okay, now <laughs> she'll send me back and the fact that John and I are like, well, that was a bad choice, but we're not giving <laughs> up on you, <laughs> you know. Uh really made a difference. And and then the hope came seeing our younger kids um and how hard it was the first year, how they found healing and trauma therapy really helped and just knowing that if God calls us to it, not that we're going to have perfect kids. I mean, we still don't know. You know, there's still teenagers in our home. Mm -hmm. But God is going to use it for a good purpose. And he's going to bring something good out of this. And the hope is really in him. It's not in Mm -hmm. our parenting skills. It's not in the kids. (laughs) And if they're going to change, but our hope is in him that whatever happens, he'll get the glory somehow. And he called us to this for a reason.
1: I've seen over the years um, the ways that, you know, a lot of people think if they're going to adopt children or work with kids in, in foster system, that, that they're bringing something to those children, which is true, that they're giving them something and trying to help them. And that's true. But But what I've seen with you over and over again is how God has used those things to refine mm-hmm. you and to burn away the dross and to make you into a clearer reflection. It's... I, I always go back to um, Paul saying, I know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Mm. You know, this this last year has been brutal with losing my dad. And and even over just as recently as the holidays, I, I was just curled up in my recliner and saying over and over again, I know nothing but Christ and Him crucified ah. because that's the truth. That's the anchor and all the other things, you know, that that are easy to hang on to when things are going well. They they kind of slip through your fingers and it's easy to get your focus off of him. But as long as you hold on to that anchor and that's the place where we land, God can shine through that into people in the world who haven't yet met him. Absolutely.
2: And the whole part of um, seek first the kingdom of God and all yeah. these things will be added. When you focus on Jesus, you realize how few other things really matter, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know all this marketing stuff and Twitter stuff. I mean, I still do that yeah. some, and I love connecting with people on Facebook, but all the stuff that we can get so wrapped up in that we think is so important. And we need to launch my book. I mean, I remember one day sitting in the therapy office, having to talk to the therapist about this big issue we just had and realizing, Oh my goodness, I have a book launching today. I <laughs> nothing. And it, And my readers, I mean, was able to, you know, the readers picked it up where I couldn't and God picked it up where I couldn't, but it was like, okay, I'm doing what you called me to do. You have to carry this God for me and all this stuff that I thought was so important and so vital and would stress over and hire people to help me with and all this stuff. I realized that does not matter. I mean, of course, getting our words out there is important, but God has other things that I need to focus on right now.
1: And he's taking what you've done in the past and and what you're doing now through the words, and he's taking it to the place he wants it to be. Yeah. We need to constantly remember that it's it's what's on us is being obedient mm-hmm. to what he's asked us to do, and it's on him to bring about the results of whatever it is that we're doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Tricia, I'm interested,
0: and when you talk about obedience, Karen, I'm I'm interested, Tricia, in how you're first three children felt about your desire to be obedient to God. And now you're bringing in these other kids and, and you're bringing in trouble really into your family. <laughs> and now they're having to share you and they're having to deal. They're dealing with the trauma too. So how did you, how did you
2: get them on board and how did that work out? Yeah, well, we talked to them when we first felt called to adoption, we talked to them and we felt like, you know, this this is God's calling and they were um, all older teens. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Nathan must have been fourteen. He was the youngest, so they're like fourteen, sixteen, and eighteen at the time when we first felt called to adoption. So this is really starting all over again. Like we could be yeah. empty yeah. <laughs> right now. And some days, I allow myself to think about that for <laughs> ten seconds. Like I could be on a <laughs> beach somewhere. <laughs> um, But when we talked to them, they were so supportive of it. And uh, it started easy. God eased us into it with Alyssa, who was a newborn and, you know, precious. And so it started easy. And I found that now uh, two of them are married. So Corey's married to Katie and has two kids and Leslie and Hansa. They're missionaries in the Czech Republic. Um, In fact, she's arriving today on the airplane to come and see us. So we only get to see her once a year. And then Nathan's a 22-year-old. And they are our biggest cheerleaders and supporters. Wow. Um, my 22 year old that lives at home, I told him you can never move out <laughs> because he right now he's at, at the therapy appointment with two of our kids. He does errands for me. My husband travels for work sometimes. He'll come in and help me put kids to bed. And he is and he was the baby of the family, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> kind of the spoiled one. And he has all these now seven younger siblings here. Um, my daughter's you know always talking about the kids and checking on me and how are you doing mom and then my son and his wife also they babysit wow. um they actually approached us and they said we want you and dad to like get away for a couple days um and we'll take the kids for you We'll, you know and so they are the biggest supporters wow. but i do feel bad you know i have two grandkids that are five and two and uh that are from my son and then our girls actually have an older sister who's married And has a baby, so I consider her my granddaughter, too. But I kind of feel bad sometimes because I don't get to do the grandma thing. Because I have a six-year-old, and I don't have time to go take the five-year-old and the two-year-old out to ice cream and stuff like I think grandma should. But our our house is their favorite place to come to because we have all the toys, we have the kids (laughs) to play with. So it's just different. It's not the typical grandma stuff, but it's still, you know, maybe not not be one-on-one stuff, but I'm playing Candyland with all the little kids instead of just (laughs) two of them. So it's just different. But they have been the biggest supporters, the biggest cheerleaders, and all of them, all the three older ones have said that someday they want to adopt because they have seen the difference that has made in the lives of these kids. I mean, we really can see um, just God working in their hearts. Three of our girls got baptized on Christmas Day, the three of the older teens, and just see... They wouldn't, I mean, if we just to work with God, like God was wanting to impact their lives and he's just letting us join him in the process. And so right. it's amazing to see him at work in their lives and to know, like, where would they be? They were living in a children's home before we adopted them, the older girls. Um, where would they be if we hadn't stepped in? And so God just shows us how important it is. And our older kids are just right there with us.
1: You know, and Tricia, I know that, that for all that you accomplish and all that you do, you don't toot your own horn. So I just want to say that as I've watched all these years... I think one of the things that 's had an impact with your biological kids is that you guys always were reaching out. You were always going on ministry trips, and mm-hmm. i don 't know how many times you went with your whole family to the Czech Republic and on ministry trips and and so that 's when Leslie ended up as being a missionary over there, met her husband over there, and now yeah. they're over there working so it 's It really is just a beautiful representation of casting those breads on the water and their God taking them and planting them into the kids and letting that come to fruition in them because of what they saw in you from a very early age.
2: Right. And one of our goals when our kids were little, um, you know, because we were homeschooling, but it just wasn't about academics. It was serving. Um, So that was just as important as math and reading or anything that we did so we all volunteered in children's church every week even when the kids were elementary school age they would help us in skits and dress up like bible characters you know (laughs) um the kids were there with me when i helped start hope pregnancy center and they were folding diapers and my daughter was babysitting in our teen mom support group when she was nine years old so it has been you know our life john always says um we it's not going to church service you know, where we go and sit, it's being part of church service where we are part of the body of Christ and we're serving others. And I think that has been, yeah, it's been part of our family structure. So it's like, okay, adopt kids. All right. <laughs> this is, I guess, another way we're going to serve.
1: Well, so as as you're talking to our listeners here and it's, it's getting close to time and we need to draw to a close, do you have some practical ideas for them, things or even one thing that, that they can do now that can, can help them do the kinds of things, maybe not what you're doing, but to be obedient and to open themselves to what the task is that God has for them in their writing and in their
2: life and all of that? Yeah, you know, it was a prayer that I prayed years ago um, just, God, show me your heart. Like, mm. where is your heart? Where are? What are you hurting about? Mm. What makes you cry? Um, who do you want to reach? God, show me your heart. And once he starts showing you his heart, um, and for us it was um, maybe teen moms or these kids that don't have homes, then... It's like, okay, I got to do something. Because when you have God's heart, it's like, I have to do something, even though Mm -hmm. it's going to be really hard. And so that prayer, um, and once he shows you, even in your writing, God, show me your heart. What is your message for the people today? Whether it's in fiction or nonfiction or blogs or articles. And once you have God's heart, um, the words will come because the message will be in your heart. His message will be in your heart. And I think, you know, the words that I write are just part of his work, but the other part of his work is just walking out what he puts on my heart. So that would be an important prayer, I think, for all of us to pray.
1: I love that. I do, too. Well, it's been wonderful to have you with us. I hope all of you have enjoyed this as much as we have. It's it's an important message to gain god's heart and it's an important message to be obedient to what he calls us to and to not live in your comfort zone so many truths that you've shared with us i think we'll all need to take some time and like mary did ponder these things in our hearts (laughs) and then ask god what he has for us in the midst of this in our own places of the deep whether it's going deeper with him or struggle we're just so grateful for what he's done in you and john and the kids and we're grateful for your writing and we're grateful for the fact that he loves us so much that he invites us into this ministry with him to use us so thanks for being here guys and thank you trisha so much for being here and we will just continue to pray for you and and ask god to bless you and the work that you do for him Thank you. Those
2: prayers are appreciated. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thanks, Tricia. And boy, to everything you said and Karen, and you've said, Tricia, I say, amen.
1: Amen. 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 Thanks for listening today. We hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes, which you can find
0: along with a free audio download, five crucial ways to safeguard your writer's heart
1: at our website, right If you'd like to support the show and we would love it. If you do that, you can contribute through the website to connect with us, go to the website
0: or tweet us at Karen ball one. That's the number one or Aaron T young.
1: So until next time, embrace the deep. Your writing and your life will never be the same. Amen. Amen.